truly humbled to be here tonight. I, I can think of a few things uh, uh, of being here at this church. Uh, we came here in 1990. Uh, as a 10-year-old boy, boy, it was a lot of a huge thing. I can't remember uh, coming from the small Southern Baptist Church in Paxton, Illinois. I can't, I can't just imagine coming in these doors and going, whoa. Of course, back then, um, didn't have the wings on the sides, but I remember they had a balcony. Whoa. And I really, I, I think about all the things that God has done through this church, and I'm truly thankful for it. Uh, there's no doubt in my mind, uh, first that comes to my mind is my family salvation. Uh, Dad moved here, brought his family along, um, uh, probably to more of the protest of his, his wife and uh, his parents. And he came here and uh, threw an ad in the Sword of the Lord. It was the only toll-free number that you could find in the Sword of the Lord. So he says, hey, let's call it. Showed up on the doorstep and uh, he saw the academy. And he said, wow. He says, I want my kids in that academy. And uh, from that point forward, it was exciting. Uh, uh, my brother, my sister, myself, and my mom all got saved here at Fairhaven Baptist Church. That's a product of you folks. And I'm thankful for that. Um, came here to Bible college, uh, found my wife here. I learned the bulk of my doctrine here. Um, and it's amazing to me is that, uh, I can think of all the things that God has done. And so I'm totally thankful for what God has done here at Haven Baptist church. And, uh, if you're not thankful for this church, you got something wrong with you. Uh, God's got something special here and he's got something in the future, even more special. Keep being faithful. I do want to just mention shortly um, a couple folks that had just passed recently, Mrs. Trout and Mrs. Prozinski, both lovely people, and I remember dearly. But Mrs. Trout has a special place in my heart. When we came here in 1990, Dad showed up in uh, Porter, and we were her neighbor. And uh, she didn't know who we are, we were, and uh, so she came. I don't know who she grabbed. She grabbed some lady from the church, and they knocked on our door. Dad was going to Bible college. She comes and she says, I just want to invite you to church. And, uh, of course, we both kind of looked at each other and said, well, we go to your church. Oh, well, that's great. That's wonderful. But sweet Mrs. Trout, I just think of her soul winning efforts and she didn't stop, right? First neighbors move in, boom, she was there. I hope that's every Christian here. Turn your Bibles to Galatians, Galatians chapter 2. title of my message tonight is Frustrating the Grace of God. The Galatians were a group of people who I truly believe were saved. They loved Jesus Christ, but they were doing something the wrong way. They were doing it all backwards. We all know that our salvation comes through faith and trust in Jesus Christ. There's no doubt in my mind that anyone that has claimed Christ here today understands that fact. What happens after salvation? What is your life all about? I see a lot of Christians who get to a point where they are frustrated with their Christian life. They don't see victory. They don't see uh, things happening in their family. They don't see things happening in their ministry. And so they start to walk in the flesh. How many, I just have to, have to ask this question. How many here are first generation Christians? Just to raise hands. Okay. All right. Now I just need to see a raise hands second generation Christians. Okay. I, I always curious about that, um, especially going to a church this size. Uh, a lot of new faces, some folks I don't know. But I have to say this much that every Christian deals with this problem of walking in the flesh. Galatians chapter 2 deals with this idea, and we're going to start in verse 15. It says, We who are Jews by nature and not sinners of the Gentiles, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by the faith of Jesus Christ. Even we have believed in Jesus Christ that we might be justified by the faith of Christ and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. But if while we seek to be justified by Christ, we ourselves also are found sinners, is there therefore Christ minister of sin? God forbid. For if I build again the things which I destroyed, I make myself a transgressor. For I through the law am dead to law and I might live unto God. I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me, in the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not frustrate the grace of God, for if righteousness cometh by law, 
then Christ is dead in vain. Let's start with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this time that we have together. Lord, I'm thankful for your word. Thank you for what you've done in, in my heart, and my family's heart, and uh, my uh, children's heart. I ask you, Lord God, that you'd continue to bless Fairhaven Baptist Church. God, may your hand of mercy be upon it. Lord, may it continue to grow. And Lord, that lives would continue to be changed in Northwest Indiana. In Jesus' name, amen. The grace of God is one of those things that some people look at and just say flippantly, but I truly believe that if you're, if you're saved in here today, it is a special, special thing in your life. The Bible says that, hey, you know, we all know the definition, God's riches at Christ's expense. The verse that I love here in uh, Galatians chapter 2 and verse 21, Paul's speaking to the Galatians. He says, I do not frustrate the grace of God. I think about frustration. I've had some frustrations in my life. My daughter, she's not, I'm not going to name her name because I got, I got five girls and one boy. So there's some anonymity there. Um, but uh, one of my daughters, when she was about six or seven years old, um, I'm a huge, how many like Diet Coke in here? Anybody? All right. A few lovers. Uh, I like to come home from a nice day at work and I like to have an ice cold Diet Coke. And I only had one left. One left. You know, and uh, so you're sitting there and I poured that Diet Coke and I put it in the cup and boy, I was ready to drink it. My daughter, she's six or seven and uh, I love her dearly. But that day was a different day. She got up on that counter and guess what she did? She knocked over that last Diet Coke that was in the house. And I thought, oh my goodness, I was so wanting that Diet Coke. I was angry at her. How could you do that? That's some real frustration, right? Missing your Diet Coke. I think of another one. When I was in college, oh my goodness, I had some really quote-unquote good friends. And uh, I worked nights, and I was waiting for them to get off or whatever they were doing. I'll just give you a little hint. They gave them a lovingly name called the Rat Pack. And uh, one of them's actually here tonight, believe it or not. But this friend of mine, quote-unquote friend, decided that it would be a great idea that they would scare me while I was sleeping in my car. Not just scare me, but put my car in drive. So out there in the back parking lot, I'm sleeping. Of course, it's a cold winter night, and I'm putting my arms inside my jacket. And I'm sleeping hard. Somehow, they open the car door, stick the car in drive, and go, blah! Of course, I get up, I got my hands in my coat, and I'm walking around, and I'm going like this. I couldn't get the car stopped. I couldn't chase after them. I was frustrated. Listen, I use that idea of frustration. You know, the Bible talks about this idea of frustration. I had to look it up a little bit. The, the little definition is to break, to interrupt, hence to defeat, to disappoint, to balk, to bring to nothing as to frustrate a plan, to design or attempt to frustrate the will or purpose. And the grace of God is something you don't want to frustrate. How many times have you gotten up in the morning and you know you should read your Bible, you know you should pray, you know you should seek God's face, but instead you say, I can go out the door, it's fine. Listen to me, friend, you're frustrating the grace of God. God never intended for us to go at it alone. We are, as the Bible says, our, our righteousness is filthy rags. And so when we go out the door, we are depending on something besides what we should be depending on. We're depending on our own righteousness. When's the last time you cried out to God and said, God, please help me? When's the last time you needed God to a point because you had no other avenue to get through? It starts with a total dependence upon the Spirit of God for your life. You're raising your kids today. Listen to me. You need God. You can't do it on your own. There is, should be a contrite spirit bent over your children. There should be a contrite spirit spent over your ministry. There should be a contrite spirit spent over your church. Again, I go back to this church and I think of all the wonderful things that I've been here. I recently had a procedure done for my gallbladder. How exciting. Um, I had to go out there and Believe it or not, uh, some of you know uh, Jeff and Tracy Ferguson. Um, Tracy, I grew up with and went to high school with and college and uh, wonderful friends. 
But I had her sister, who is, I believe she's um, been a part of this church, come a few times. And she had this question. She says, you grew up at Fairhaven. What was it like? I don't know if she was looking for something juicy, but I said, it was the best time of my life. And listen, I think about that, what God has done here and what God is going to continue to do. But listen, this church here has to have the same spirit that Paul was trying to teach the Galatians. It's very easy to operate in a fleshly manner. It's very easy to have that spirit that says, I can do it on my own. I have a little boy. His name is Nolan. Boy, is he a brat. I'm I'm thankful for him. Don't get me wrong. After having five girls and then getting a boy, I thought, wow, this is great. This is wonderful. I'm starting to learn that boys are just a little bit worse than girls. They got, I don't know, I I got this term. It's called a knucklehead. And they just really, I mean, sometimes they do things that just kind of floor you a little bit. And he's got his own will. He wants to dress himself in the morning. He wants to put on his coat. He wants to do his thing. And dad and mom are saying, no, you can't quite do that yet, son. I remember when my daughter Chloe was little, she had, <laughs> she had found that mom and dad would cook her eggs in the morning. And she loved that, and she loved eggs. One morning, mom was sick, and she, she was in the bed a little bit longer than normal. Chloe, being about four years old, she pulled up a chair, and slapped some eggs into the frying pan, and she made herself and her sister scrambled eggs. You know, I think it's easy to look at a little child and say, wow, what an amazing thing. But listen, the Bible gives us an understanding about what the grace of God should be in our lives. And you cannot do it on your own. You're like a little child. You need help. And, and listen, pride is one of those things that stops us. It's the hidden sin that keeps us thinking that we can do it on our own. You think that you can be able to accomplish God's will by yourself, all by yourself. Some of you call yourself a Lone Ranger Christian. Really, the truth is, is that God has to be there every step away. I, I doubt to say if you're in here and pastoral staff would probably say, yes, I had to come to Jesus Christ. I had to believe in who he was. I, I had to repent of my sins and put my faith and trust in him. Praise God. And Paul's telling these Galatians, he says, listen, he says, you know what God wants you to do. He says, go back to Galatians chapter th- or go to Galatians chapter three and verse one. I love this. I'm going to put this in the, at the corner of my office at the church. Oh, foolish Galatians, who hath bewitched you that ye should not obey the truth before whose eyes Jesus Christ has evidently set forth, crucified among you? This only would I learn of you and receive ye the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith. Are ye so foolish, having begun in the Spirit? Are ye now made perfect by flesh? What is Paul saying? He's literally looking at these Galatians. He says, look, you know what salvation is. You know you had to depend upon Jesus Christ to get saved. Now you have to live by Jesus Christ to continue to live the Christian life. You can't do it by your own. I need to say, oh, foolish Garfield Ridge Baptist Christians. I need to say, oh, foolish Harold. Why? Because I know that's me sometimes. Depending directly upon the flesh. And that's why I think Paul looked at it and he says, don't, I do not frustrate the will of God. He understood that there was a problem with Christians depending upon their own flesh to be able to do the expectations of what God has given you. If you read through Galatians, you find more and more things that have to do with the idea. Uh, Galatians, Colossians, and even a little bit of Philippians, you see a lot of uh, admonition about fleshly living. I can't imagine what my life would be like without the grace of God in my life. I give a little bit of my testimony of my father and coming here from Paxton, Illinois, from a Southern Baptist church in Paxton, Illinois. And I found the interesting thing is, is that coming here to this big church, I remember some of the evident things that had to happen. I remember Dr. Vogan get up and preaching, and I remember as a kid listening to Adventures in Odyssey. James Dobson. I remember Dr. Vogan get up and preaching. James Dobson had a problem. I remember getting, whoa, did you hear him say that? I was so frustrated. I remember as a kid thinking, no, this is not the church for us. My mom, I told her I was going to tell her this, so 
When she first came here, she was, she was a nurse, and she had to wear scrubs, and there were pants. I remember one of the pastors at the time saw my mom wearing pants at Kmart, and she looked at, he looked at and says, head high, and then when he saw my dad at Sewell, who was, of course, going, he looked at her and says, I'm going to give you five demerits every day until you talk to your wife and change her standards about pants. We came here at Southern Baptist Church, and I tell you what, we had every uh, CCM music you could find. We had Sandy Patty and Amy Grunt. We had uh, all of them. I remember Dad learning about music and uh, learning about good music. I tell you what, you guys are blessed. You hear some that piano, oh my goodness, it's beautiful. Young men getting up and singing. I enjoy music. One of the, my favorite things coming here. But you know what? We had to learn about good music. I remember dad taking all those blank CDs. And he says, we're just going to use it to tape over. We had a whole bag of CCM sitting up in the attic. God had to convict us and bring us around. I remember a couple teachers who had come to our first parent-teacher meeting at our house. They told us years later, they said, we didn't think you were going to make it. But because of the grace of God, daddy has two boys and a daughter in the ministry today. The grace of God did that. And you say, Pastor, I want that same grace upon my family. I want that same grace upon my church. Listen to me, it starts with dependence upon Jesus Christ. There's three things that I want to introduce tonight in the idea of frustrating the grace of God. Of course, go back to the text verse, Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20 says, I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. In the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not frustrate the grace of God, for if the righteous come by the law, then Christ is dead in vain. I think many Christians have taken this idea of living by uh, uh, the flesh by setting their own expectations of what God wants. I'll tell you a little bit of my own testimony. I would served in my father's church, happily, you might say, but I hated Chicago. If you know me, I'm not a Chicago person. Um, and I struggled with it for years. I'd always try to find a way to get out. It was like a prison for me. I'd try to get to another church and God wouldn't let me. He'd just keep showing me, you need to stay here, you need to stay here. I didn't know why. One day, Dad talked to me and he says, Son, I just want you to know, you know, I'm going to be retiring in a few years and we need to find a new pastor. I said, well, don't look at me. I'm not your guy. And then God broke my heart. I started taking a job that I should have never took. For four months, I was out of church. I remember getting up every morning and seeing my children getting ready for church. Thinking, why am I not going? God broke my heart and he says, Harold, I have more for you. I have more for you and your family. Don't stop. Thank you for the grace of God there. That next day, I remember, okay, Lord, what? I need to get back in church. So the company that I was working for, I put in a uh, religious accommodation. I says, okay. Within a week, I had it back, and I was on church on Sunday. And says, okay, God, what next? God started ripping up my life and finding ways that I could be able to have a new obedience towards Him. Amen. And I looked at those things, and I say, that is the grace of God. Every day I'd get up, and there was something new. And I said, okay, God, I know you've called me to preach. I remember sitting up in that very auditorium, Bill Rice the third was preaching a preaching conference in 1995. I remember him getting up and just preaching on the will of God. And I, I remember answering that call. But one of the things about being a PK or a preacher's kid, sometimes you see all the worst of people. I don't want anything to do with that. I don't want anything to do with people treating you wrong. I don't want people uh, not listening, doing what God wanted them to do, and then blaming you for it later. I don't want anything to do with that. So I said, okay, God, you want me to go in the ministry? I'll do it, but not Chicago. No, not Chicago. I know Lori Lightfoot. 
I've seen her dealings. I've seen uh, uh, Rahm Emanuel. I've seen the corruption. Go ahead, knock on some doors. Some of you say, i got a hard area, Pastor. I, I, I need to go out and uh, knock on Chesterton. It's hard. Come to Chicago sometime. Knock on a few doors. <laughs> remember one time giving a track to one guy. He was a Polish, old Polish gentleman. And he looked at me and he says, what church is it? A lot of older Catholic folks in there. I said, well, we're, we're Garfield Ridge Baptist Church. I don't going to go to that stupid church. Oh, man, I've, I've knocked on doors and slammed in my face more times than I'd like. And I said, I don't want that. God, give me a nicer area. Give me areas that I'm not going to have problems like this. It's interesting that the more I've matured, I realize there's a lot of areas like this. And I remember saying, God, not Chicago, not Chicago. Please don't put us in Chicago. God says, no, I want you there. So I found that day, Dad retired, and I told the church, I says, look, I'll be your intern for a second, a couple years. Ah, I opened the door, that was it. God says, you're staying here, buddy. You think you're going to leave? I, I, I had to sit back and look at that and say, God used my misunderstanding and used his grace to get me where I need to be today. God wants the same thing for you. Don't dictate to God what you think he wants you to do. I love this quote by Abraham Lincoln. He says, Sir, after being asked if the Lord was on their side in the battle, he says, Sir, my concern is not whether God is on our side. My greatest concern is to be on God's side, for God is always right. Sometimes we walk around thinking, boy, look at me. Look at what I'm doing. Look at how my life has been. And you don't look at what God wants you to do. And so instead of doing what God has asked you to do, instead you're telling God what you're going to do. You are an idolatry. You are set yourself up as an idol. I don't know the specifics of this church. I do know there's a bus ministry, praise God. Uh, my dad and I, we, one of the first, <laughs> first times we would go out to Kingsford Heights. Who's got Kingsford Heights neighborhood right now? Who is that has it? Oh, wow. Exciting. We had, we had great times. I, I'll tell you what, bus 43. And boy, I tell you what, we would go. There used to be a corner stowed. We'd get three, three hot dogs per dollar. It's wonderful. As a kid, man, that was the best thing, a part of the day. Mrs. Mrs. Olson remembers that, don't you? She was on our bus. I remember, boy, going out there and spending time on the bus route, Kingsford Heights. Listen, you have a ministry, you have a church full of ministries, and you, if you're saying, Pastor, you know what? I, I want to do something new this year. You got a bus route. I would love to have a bus route at my church. Someday I will. I'm thankful for the bus route here at Fairhaven, teaching people how to be able to go out, knock on doors, and go visit. Maybe it is your bus route. Maybe you're a part of it. And maybe you're not trusting God and you're saying, you know what, I'm just content to be able to visit the kids every Sunday. When's the last time you knocked on some doors? I remember, Dad, we'd go out. <laughs> Me and my brother, we would always take turns going with Dad. And we were carnal goats. I'll tell you what. One of us wanted to go and one of us didn't. We'd always find a way to say, you're going this time with dad, not me. It was an all day thing. I remember we'd be out there in Kingsford Heights knocking on doors until the sun set. Listen, what is your ministry about? Are you telling God what to do? Are you spending the time necessary to do? See God provide and God to bless? You go home, you spend a half a day, say, Pastor, I, have, I need free time. What is your free time? I'll be honest with you. There are times when I want some more free time. And my flesh makes me weak. I have to come out and say, God, please help me. Get up in the morning and say, God, I, I don't want to do this. God, give me grace. Let me get out and knock on some doors. Let me get my uh, door slammed in my face a few times. But God, let me get out here and do it. In my flesh dwelleth no good thing. Your bus route needs to be operated like that. Your soul winning, your, your visitation. These are all things that God can use in a special way, but you have to give over to the Spirit. Maybe you say, Pastor, well, you know, I'm doing some of what God wants me to do. There's, there's plenty of things I know I need to be doing here at this church, but I, I'm doing just enough. I'm happy to be content. 
And again, I, I don't know the specifics of Fairhaven. I know there's a lot of things to be. And I look at this property. Where's, where's the case boy? Where's he at? Case guy. Case man. There you go. Talk. Oh, my goodness. You must have people clamoring to come help you, right? Yeah? That's a blessing. That's wonderful. But you know, you've got plenty of things to do here. There's an endless supply of things. Mr. Leslie, boy, I tell you what. One of the things I tell him, uh, it's Adam, right? Or Nathan. Which one is it? I always get you too confused. Adam, thank you. And I tell you what, I remember coming out there and working with Mr. Leslie and spending time. You, you got your kids that are out there on Saturday morning and they're doing nothing. I know this is going to, Adam's going to love this. Maybe you should go ask him if he can use some help. Remember, dad was maintenance for a couple of years. And boy, I was out there. I don't know what it is. Uh, Brother Snyder would know this. Somehow I would do my staff hours and never get them signed. And do them over and over and over again. But you know, it's interesting that as you look at your, your church and you look at what God's given you, listen to me, there's a lot of things you can be doing. But there has to be some dictate of the Spirit controlling you, asking you to do the things that you need to do. Paul knew who had put him in the ministry. Do you know who, God, who put you in the ministry? Who put Fairhaven Baptist Church here? The Bible says in 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 12, and it says, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who hath enabled me for that he counted me faithful putting me into the ministry. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 25. Let's turn there. You think you have it? You think you know what you're doing? First uh, Corinthians one twenty five says, "Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For ye see your calling, brethren, how that many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble, are called. But hath God chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise, and God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty, and the base things of the world." Which are despised hath God chosen, yea, things which are not to bring to naught things that are, that no flesh should glory in his presence. That last verse really struck home with me, that no, no flesh should glory in his presence. We think that we can see God bless through our fleshly efforts. God says here, no flesh will glory in his presence. The Spirit of God should be something completely different. And listen to me, you'll see someone who has the Spirit of God living and breathing inside their life. You'll see their attitude, their actions, their love for others, the sweetness of spirit. First recently, I have a young man in our church. And um, four years ago, three years ago, when I took it over, I would not have said, this guy is going to make it. And I tell you what, it was, it was a struggle. He was been in the church for many, many years. He had married in the church. And it was kind of a struggle for me. And I'd work with him and work with him and work with him. And I found that God started to work in his life and he started to be a totally different person. That spirit, that critical spirit that was there was gone. He says, what else can I do to help? He's making up uh, newsletters for me. He's putting up a, 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 a vision schedule for me. He's doing all these things that I, I'm like, wow, this, this is great. What happened? And we were praying Thursday night together. He's praying. He's saying, Lord, I don't know why you're doing this to me now. He says, I've spent all my life working for myself and now I want to serve you. He got a little bit of that spirit, didn't he? He knew exactly what God wanted him to do. I see these teenagers in here. You say, Pastor, what is important about me serving God right now? What is important about me getting a little bit of the Spirit today? Listen to me. Can you imagine a group of teenagers who have such a love for God that, boy, you don't have to ask them to do anything. They're out there doing it. See, a group of teenagers who, boy, they put their parents to shame. They're out there knocking on doors. They can't wait. You guys still do that for teen group? Knock on doors? I remember one of the first times I ever got to go out. We went out to, I don't know if it's still probably not safe. I don't know. We went out to, um, 
It was out there in Willow Creek and one of the Portage Junior High Schools. We were 7th and 8th grade. I remember going out there being as nervous, telling kids about Jesus. And, of course, I grew up in a, a uh, very much girls are icky type of spirit. And girls would come up to me, can you tell me about Jesus? And I'd look at them and say, no, there's another girl across the street. You can talk to her. I remember, boy, I, the first time that ever won someone to the Lord was in one of those parks there in Portage. What a joy it was. Can you honestly say that any child in here has been able to lead someone to the Lord? Is there teenagers in here that are able to even witness to their friends? Boy, I'm telling you, we shouldn't, shouldn't stop just as adults. It should be. Everyone has the Spirit of God. Everyone's not walking in the flesh. Everyone's together saying, God, what do you want me to do? How can I live for you today? Put the limitations on God. We set expectations on what His blessing is. Maybe your bus route's like Kingsford Heights. Maybe, I don't know, how many people live in Kingsford Heights? Is there a thousand? 1,500. I cross there every once in a while. Good memories. I, maybe it's 1,500. You knock on every door in Kingsford Heights. It's all you got. I remember Gary used to run hundreds of kids, and we were lucky on a big day, 40 kids. 40 kids. Now, you look at that now, and you like, wow, that's a pretty good, good number, right? For Kingsford Heights, man, we go out there and knock on doors. And I tell you, it's amazing to me is that we get so wrapped up on the idea of numbers. Listen, obedience is what God God wants. Faithfulness. It is required of stewards that a man be found what? Faithful. Well, pastor, I don't know. I've been out here knocking on doors and I haven't seen any kids come out. That's not your job. The Holy Spirit's job is to convict and guide and direct people. Your job is to be obedient. Your job is to be faithful. Go out there and do what God's given you to do. I think the biggest thing that I find sometimes too is with Christians, they get so wrapped up in things that are tangible that they forget that God is eternal and spiritual. So the first thing, don't set your expectations on your answer to prayer. Don't set your expectations on what God, the blessings of God. But number three, do not frust the grace of God by seeking vain glory. Galatians chapter 5 verse 26. The Bible says, let us not be desirous of vain glory, provoking one another, envying one another. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17, it says, This I therefore in testifying the Lord that ye henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk in the vanity of their mind, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart. We can be people of vain glory. Pride. Pride is one of those hidden sins that people don't really can see themselves being proud. You say, you're proud. No, I'm not. No, I'm not. You look at the person that's proud and boy, listen to me. They're sitting there and thinking that they're okay. They're wonderful. There is always a little bit of pride in every Christian. They're always, and this is the crazy thing about pride. It's the fertilizer to the other sins. It starts to ruminate. And before long, boy, listen to me. No longer is the Spirit of God upon the person's life. No longer are they living by faith. No longer are they doing the things that God wants them to do. So instead, what do they do? They start walking in the flesh again. There's no spirituality. There's no desire to do what God wants them to do. And so then you see something else. You see contention. The Bible says, and another thing Dad put up on the refrigerators as we were growing up, Proverbs 13.10. Only by pride cometh contention, but with the well-advised is wisdom. I remember dad, dad would be walking by, me and my brother. and i got to stop right here and tell a little story on my brother. He's, he's out in Washington State. And uh, we used to have some good fights, really good fights. 
And the Bible says that a brother is born for adversity. Boy, I tell you what, he is. I remember one time we were in Mr. Wright and Sam Estep was watching us. And he was watching who was doing a good job during wrestling. It was one of these deals where he would be having a move. He'd show us the move, then we'd go back and practice it. And somehow, some way, my brother would be my partner. How did that happen? I don't know. So we'd find ourselves in these uh, situations where we'd be sitting together wrestling, and, and all of a sudden, Andy would be like doing something that just hurt me. Ow! I can't breathe! Stop! Then it was my turn to try the move. And I'd do the same exact thing back to him. And I remember, man, Sam, we got to the end, and Mr. Wright looks out around the, the crowd, and he says, uh, which one of these kids did a good job today, and they don't need to run sprints? And he looked at me and my brother. Those guys were doing a great job, I'll tell you what. But you know, it's interesting that there is a lot of contention in our homes. And you know why there's contention? It's because there's a lot of pride. There's a lot of sense of, uh, of self-righteousness. There's a lot of sense of, I'm okay, I don't need anything, anybody to help. See, when we have that type of pride, we think of ourselves more highly than we ought to think. We use anger and wrath and malice and seditions to be able to prove our points when really we need to be asking God, how do you want me to respond? The Bible says a soft answer turneth away wrath, but what grievous words stir up anger. Man, we as Christians, we can, we can look around and look at ourselves. He says here in Galatians 5.26, let us not be desirous of vain glory, provoking one another and envying one another. You go to a church and you find someone that has struggles. You have a church that's full of contention. You have a church that you have to be, always be uh, dealing with a strife. I guarantee you at the root base of all that is pride. And as it says in Ephesians chapter 4, he says, having their understanding... Let's go back to verse 17. It says, This I say, therefore testify in the Lord, that ye henceforth walk not as Gentiles walk in the vanity of their mind. I can think of vanity. I used to tease my sister all the time. In the 90s, they used to have these huge, I don't know if you ladies remember them, they had these poof balls on the top of their head. The girls would curl them up and they would, Brother Ramos, I can see, he smiled, he remembers those as huge poof balls, right? And my sister, she wanted to fit in so bad. I remember her getting up there, and she'd have the biggest of them all. And I'd say, sis, really? And she said, no, it looks very nice, Harold. And I'd say, no, it doesn't. You know, the vanity of your mind, you look at yourself in the mirror and say, well, I'm not too bad of a guy. That's the great thing about the, having the Bible in front of you. It is the mirror to the soul. It tells us exactly what we are. And if you walk away, listen to me, you're going to have a problem. Our first and primary, primary responsibilities as Christians is to bring Christ's glory. Colossians 1 verse 18 says, And he is the head and the body of the church who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the what? Preeminence. had a guy just recently and makes me laugh. I don't know if it's everywhere, but there's a lot of crazies in Chicago. And I had this one guy, and I don't know where he came from. He just showed up on our doorstep one day, and he had some crazy theories. And I'd still let him come to church, and hopefully he'd get saved, and... He came to me after church one service, and he says, he just kind of heed and hauled for a second. I says, well, what's going on here, sir? What can I help you with? He says, well, mind you, this man was not even a member of our church. He says, I don't know if you're looking for an assistant pastor, but I'd be willing to serve. I had to give him a straight face. Well, sir, let me start off. You need to be a member. But listen, I think there's a lot of Christians who have that same attitude. They want the preeminence. They want people to look at them. They want people to say, wow, look at his bus route. Woo! Right? They say, wow, look at his kids. Right? The truth is, is that when we serve God, it's all to bring glory to him. You look at your life and you say, boy, man, Paul didn't have much to shake at, did he? He, he? he was stoned. He was shipwrecked. He was put in prison. What was he doing things for? Was it for his glory? 
No. It was for Christ. As he says here in Colossians chapter 3, he says, For ye are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. Your life is not about yourself. You are hid in God. I preached this morning to my congregation, Listen, you need to put on Christ. As I mentioned before, pride is the hidden sin that permeates Christians' thinking. Our goal is sometimes to please others. But the truth is, is that we need to please God as Christians. What is your ministry about? One of the great things I love about Fairhaven is that literally most people here are serving. I love that. Growing up here, I tell you what, it was a rarity for someone not to serve. Bus routes and cleaning and things of that nature. What is your ministry about? Is it about bringing glory to yourself and what you can do and what you've done with what you've been given in this responsibility of a church? Or instead, is it saying, God, I want to do your will today? Pride will get us to that point that says, boy, I know that I can be able to do these things. And, and, if, if I, and listen, I want people to notice. One of the things about taking over this church, not a very big church. And it's very difficult. Some of the things that you do in a small church is, is uh, always fun. I remember we went out to, after we left here, my dad graduated in 1995 from here. We went out to Michigan and served with uh, Pastor Kit Potter for a while. A couple years. Man, I remember leaving, as just like I came from the Southern Baptist Church and was wowed and shocked by Fairhaven. We went out to a small church that was running probably less than 20. And I had some great opportunities there. I remember I headed up 16-year-old boy, 17-year-old boy. I got to go out and serve as a head of a CMH, CMH ministry, or a shepherd's ministry. I got to run a bus route. Do all these things. But you know, one of the things that I struggle with is, you know, who Who sees? Who sees? Man, I got so wrapped up in numbers. I got so wrapped up in what uh, the church is. But I forgot that God gave me the job not to run a numbers game, but instead to love him and to serve him and to be obedient. I don't know what God's going to do out there. I just know he's given me this responsibility to do. And I'm going to continue to do it until God tells me otherwise. Great church like this. Maybe you don't get to see that as much, but listen to me. I know for a fact that God gives you your ministry and you are to serve it to your best of your ability. And that means by faithfully serving God. Putting God's spirit first. Not saying I'm going to obey the flesh, but instead say, what does God's spirit want me to do? Maybe I need to be a little bit more definitive on what obeying the spirit is. I think some Christians think, well, I'm doing everything I'm supposed to be doing. You say, what, what, what is that? Well, I know the preacher gets up and preaches and says, Boy, uh, thus saith the Lord, I, I need to read my Bible, so I'm reading my Bible. And I'm praying. I'm giving. Wonderful. Hallelujah. That's great. I'm coming to church every service. I'm here soul winning. That's wonderful. But really, the Spirit of God is saying, I need you every day. The Bible says that a contrite spirit God will not despise. You can go through the motions. You can get up. You can do your bus route. You can come to church. You can even read your Bible and pray. But if the Spirit of God is not a part of it, if you're not asking God for help, it's all done through the flesh. you got to get up and say, God, change me. You're burdened over your ministry? Get up and say, God, change me. Lord, I need your help today. It is a truly dependent spirit. See, the opposite is the flesh. It's saying, I don't need to get up to ask God to read my Bible. I don't need to get up and ask God to give me something from His Word today. I don't need to ask God for strength to have prayer time. I don't need to ask God for strength to be in church. I don't need to ask God for the strength to be soul winning. Because if you don't, if you don't spend time asking God for the grace and the strength to get it done, 
It's going to burn up when you get to heaven. I think the apostles had to deal with this in their day. Diotrephes. The Bible says in 3 John chapter 1, verse 9, it says, I wrote unto the church, but Diotrephes, who loveth to have the preeminence among them, receiveth us not. I love the story in Acts chapter 8 about Simon. Simon was one of these fellows who really thought that he had something and he saw what the disciples did. And so what did he do? He paid for, tried to pay for it with some money. Boy, he lost it there, didn't he? Not the Spirit of God, it's the flesh. You all know the verse. God resisteth the proud, but what? Giveth grace to the humble. You ever thought about that word resist? It's an active fighting against God resisteth the proud. Literally, God is fighting against you when you are proud. You're not doing God's will. He's literally saying, no, I don't want anything to do with you. You, He's putting his hand up and he's saying, no. Your ministry, your family, your church will suffer if you have a sense of pride in how you operate. It's all done through the flesh. Lastly, do not frustrate the grace of God straining to do God's will in your power. Some of you, and and I know myself, I've done the same thing. My my parents raised me to be a good, young, strong, independent, fundamental Baptist church member. Boy, it's very easy. I see young people in here. Listen, you, you can get very uh, comfortable in what you're doing. You can say, wow, I just go to youth ministry and, oh, I go to church on Sunday. You know, I, I'm a part of this and I'm a part of that. But you never really establish that walk with God with yourself for yourself. The first time that I ever had to really try my faith and see what God wanted me to do. I remember when we moved to Michigan, I started working at, no, it's not Cabrafe Peaks, hallelujah. But it was Crystal Mountain Resort. And I remember the first time I worked at this little, it's called the Main Street Grill. It's about 16 or 17 years old. And I had a responsibility of grilling hamburgers in the back. I remember right above me. There was a speaker playing rock and roll of all the current strains and viruses. And I remember it had a little volume up there. And I would be constantly going, kept turning it down. And my coworker started getting mad at me. Who keeps turning down this rock music? Finally, I had to say, you know what I am? Why did I do that? Because I had to start realizing that my relationship with God goes further than just at home or at church. It spans even into my workplace. As a young person, I had to learn that it's not just mommy and daddy telling me things. It's something that God has put in my heart and I need to live it. The Spirit of God is something that's real. It's not just something that you say and, and talk about in church. It's something that God has, has challenged your heart to do. You spend that adequate time in prayer and you spend that adequate time seeking God's faith, having a contrite spirit, being broken over your sin. Watch out what God do. He'll do something special. Four years ago, I never thought I'd be preaching. I definitely didn't think I'd be preaching in Chicago. Two years into the ministry, boy, we went through some tough times. And now I'm coming out on the other side. And I'm saying, look what God can do. The vision that God can give us. When you get, and I was telling my church this morning, listen, you just get a little taste of the Spirit of God in your life and listen to me, you'll be so excited. You start seeing answers to prayer. You see God blessing your family. You see God blessing your ministry. And you're saying, wow, why didn't I do this years ago? Why? Because God changes your heart. He gives you a taste for it. Young people and adults alike can experience the Spirit of God today. You don't have to wait, but you do have to be repentive. 
You do have to say, I no longer want to continue down this path. I no longer want to say, this is the way to go. I'm instead going to say, God, change me today. The first step in any walk and new obedience to God is saying, God, show me where I'm wrong. I remember some of the things that I found being in youth group over the years. I love how someone had told me, he says, write down everything you know that you should be doing today. Just write it down. Put it down. Are you doing those things today? The repentive spirit says, you know what? I don't want to continue down this pathway. I'm sick of my sin. I'm sick of following the, uh, the, the flesh. I'm sick of all the things that come with the flesh. Write it down. Boy, I'll tell you what. You start crossing those things off. God, what do you want me to do next? God, what do you want me to do next? You know what's funny? You start crossing those things off, and you know what you'll find? You'll get more put on your list. Because once you start digging into that sin of pride, and you start digging into that sin of the flesh, you'll start finding, wow, there's more problems than I knew I had. I want to live in the flesh. I want to live in your spirit. Again, thank the church here today. I, I hope this was a blessing to you. God has put me down this journey for a long time. And I have to honestly say, it's been a rough one. But it's been a blessing. It's been a joy to see God work and change and God answer prayer. Maybe some of you say, Pastor, I'm right there with you. I'm Hallelujah. Listen to me. Keep going at it. But maybe some of you are the saying, Pastor, I've given up on living the Spirit-filled life. I'm living according. I'm frustrating the grace of God every day. He can't be able to put grace in my life because I'm so filled with myself. Listen, today's the day. You've got a new year, right? God's given you something. Listen, His mercies are new every day. It doesn't have to start tomorrow. It can start right now. But it starts back by saying, God, I need to change. Brother Armacost.